0: Welcome to the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous, Z E L I S, is a healthcare and financial technology company located in beautiful Bedminster, New Jersey. I also serve as the communication committee chair for Weedy that's W E D I and Weedy is the producer of this podcast. For nearly 30 years Weedy has been an instrumental force in igniting public private partnerships to empower meaningful changes for the American health care system. How does Weedy do it? A lot of the work comes from Weedy's work groups and sub work groups. Every day, WEEDY members volunteer their time and industry expertise to WEEDY workgroups to provide thoughtful leadership and common-sense approaches that enhance the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. They collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. On this episode, we're pleased to introduce you to one of our workgroups, who they are, what they do, and what are some of the biggest issues their group addresses.
1: Welcome everybody to episode 10 of the Weedy podcast series to tell you about the work of the Weedy Genomics Workgroup. My name is Grant Wood, and I am joined by Marilyn Zygmunt-Luke. Marilyn, you wanna say hello and do a quick introduction of yourself?
2: Hi everybody, appreciate you joining us for our podcast today. I am Marilyn zygmunt Luke, and I work with America's health insurance plans. For the majority of my career, I've been focused on privacy and security and cyber issues, and so I'm very happy to join Grant today to talk about this important issue of genomics and genetics.
1: And we first we wanted to share why we are both involved with Weedy and what kind of value it brings to us as participating within the various Weedy work groups. So uh, when I got introduced to Weedy, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the history of my introduction to Weedy, because uh, it has to do with the formation of the genetics work group. Um, but I had previous to, to my start, starting to work with Weedy, I'd been working with several other um, national and international uh, groups that are like Weedy, where everybody has a day job and we participate and volunteer our time and work together on shared projects and uh when I had been deeply involved in these other groups I was introduced to Weedy and found that there was a great opportunity for Weedy to take upon uh some topics that these other groups had not been working on And so I thought there was a great opportunity for the organization of Weedy to jump into the genomic space and and take on some projects that I'll describe here uh, that others hadn't been doing. Marilyn?
2: Well, I think one of the best attributes of being involved with Weedy is the fact that it's a nice confluence of a variety of entities that work within the healthcare space. And within Weedy, we have an entire portfolio of issues that we discuss, which covers everything from health IT to electronic standards and transactions, privacy and security issues, genetics, really the entire gamut of issues that transverse across the healthcare space.
1: Great. So I wanted to uh, also share, if you're um, listening to this podcast and have not participated either with Weedy at all or specifically with the Weedy Genomics Workgroup, you can go to the Weedy.org uh, website and you can find the Contact Us form on the website. Just quickly fill that out and Uh, They will put you in contact with us. um, And we are always looking for uh, people who want to participate within the work group, find out what we're doing and contribute to the projects we're working on. So let me take uh, uh, just uh, the first minute or two to talk about the history of the formation of this work group. So I was invited back in January of 2015 to uh, join the WIDI board retreat. And at that time, the WIDI board was thinking about whether the organization should develop a work group around genomics. And they asked me to present to them. And and what I did was pretty much I, I did a Grant Wood brain dump of everything that I was aware of that I was working with at that time. The idea is is I'd give them all this information and that the board could decide what they wanted to do with it. But there were a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, The 21st Century Cures Bill um, uh, had just been gone through uh, Congress, Uh, the Precision Medicine Initiative that was started by uh, President uh, Obama and is now called the All of Us uh, Research Program was just getting launched. Uh, The Global Alliance for Genomics and Health and the Global Genomic Medicine Collaborative Activities were just getting started. There was a lot of uh, large uh, national initiatives around genomic testing. This is the countries that would uh, ask their citizens to participate in in these uh, genomic research studies. Uh, There were uh, other groups that were collecting and data to share uh, a place or repository where research data can be stored, that can be shared with other researchers like ClinVar and ClinGen. And this is information where they are trying to uh, understand and store the interpretation of the, ver- uh, the different variants uh, that people had found in their research studies. The American College of Medical Genetics had uh, announced their um, recommendation that uh, around 59 different genes, uh, that if there is a test that was performed on a person or a study participant that included uh, one or more of these 59 genes that they felt like information about that. So the result from that test on those genes should be uh, uh, returned back to that, that research participant because they, uh, the knowledge around those genes could be medically actionable. In other words, they felt like knowing that there was a uh, mutation within one of those genes that uh, having that person's doctors know about it, that there was something medically that could be done a- a- about that. Uh, HL7 had begun moving their uh, genetic and genomic data standards that were in version two and version three, and CDA, they were starting to move all those into the new fire standard. So all of those things were, were going on. Um, and, and when I shared all this information with the board, they came back and said, Grant, we really want, we need to have work group, and we would asked you to co-chair it. And so that's how the work group got started. But I'd like to, uh, uh, as we move on into more of the uh, activities of the work group, I'd like to uh, turn it back over to Marilyn from her perspective as representing the insurance industry as what they think are the important issues and questions when we're talking about clinical genomics. Marilyn?
2: Well, thanks Grant. I think for purposes of our discussion, there are really three areas that are key in terms of moving forward with information related to the most private of an individual's health information, which has to do with their genetic makeup. And there have been a number of consumer products that have been offered allowing individuals to gain more insight into their genetic makeup, whether it's for purposes of tracing their family line or uncovering what diseases they may have a propensity to develop or may have a high percentage of developing. And because of that, the focus on the use and disclosure of that information from an individual perspective and the entities that would then have access to that information and that could then use that information either for good or bad purposes, a consumer really needs to be thinking about and aware of before they give that information to a company or allow uh, any kind of analysis to be done in terms of their genetic makeup. Two other areas that are really key uh, in terms of dealing with genetics, particularly from uh, from the perspective of what happens with genetic data, has to do with nefarious actors, particularly with foreign governments who try and get access to that kind of information so that they can gain either a competitive advantage over U.S. companies in developing pharmacogenomic uh, therapies or other pharmaceuticals to combat certain diseases that perhaps they've studied and they can see that a population overall would have specific trends to develop. And also in terms of genetic information, really just trying to make sure that individuals are protected when they give their information to a private company or allow uses or disclosures of that information to other entities that might use it for a purpose that the consumer is not aware of. Those are kind of the key areas that we've been focusing on in terms of privacy aspects and thinking about genetics and genomics.
1: Great. Thank you, Marilyn. And and with that, uh, I would like to use that as a basis to share uh, what the genomics work group has, has done up to this time so you can have an understanding of the different projects that we've worked on in the past and how they uh, set us on a path for what we're wanting to accomplish in the future back in october of 2015 the workgroup released its first white paper called issues and trends in an electronic genomic data exchange and some of the areas we covered in that white paper where we talked we talked about the current state of genomic medicine, genomic data access and and data integration, data formats and data standards, uh, interpretation and clinical decision support, genomic data exchange and and data governance and management, uh, of course, uh, privacy and security issues and data ownership and consent. And so those were the topics that that particular white paper covered and it really laid the groundwork for other projects that were to follow. The next white paper that followed after that was um, published in August of 2016, and it was called "Maximizing the Potential of Genomic Information to Improve Care Coordination and Health Outcomes." and And I, I need to quickly say that these white papers are available on the Weedy website. Uh, But this particular white paper was really focusing on a question that I felt that not a lot of groups had approached yet, and I thought it was great for Weedy to take that opportunity, and that is to look at uh, genomic-based care uh, from a patient perspective and how we need to look at coordinating. Uh, all of the d- different healthcare providers that treat a patient so that they all are not doing uh, some sort of genetic or genomic testing individually with the patient, but coordinate all of those genetic and genomic tests uh, in the patient's behalf. And so the white paper talks about how there's multiple points of entry that generate this genetic and genomic uh, data, especially if you think about, continuum of healthcare providers who not only generate this data, but then need to access the data. And so that could be, you start with your primary care uh, uh, physicians, but that includes all the specialty physicians that are going to be doing testing, like uh, your oncologist or your cardiologist and and many more. But all of those uh, healthcare providers need to have uh, electronic tools like electronic health records, et cetera, that not only allow them to order and manage the tests that they need to do to uh, uh, manage and treat the patient, but that information is shared amongst any other current or future healthcare providers uh, so they can see a holistic view of the patient. And so this is the idea of care coordination. Uh, when we're talking about uh, genetic or genomics based care. And so in order to support that concept, you obviously have to build out the infrastructure that would support that. You have to look at all the, once again, the data privacy and security issues and uh, the financial issues, including uh, insurance coverage. And so that's what that white paper covered. Um, Any comments, Marilyn, do you have on that particular topic of genomics and care coordination?
2: Yeah, I think, Grant, what you've pointed out and what the white paper hopes to achieve is to really explain some of the fundamental benefits that can be achieved when information is obtained by a treating provider, a physician who is actually looking at perhaps one set of conditions that can then be shared, as you've described, across a whole series of providers when needed to make sure that there is a holistic approach. So, really moving away from this idea that a provider would be siloed in terms of treating an individual for one specific thing, perhaps a cardiac condition or a cancer, which may impact other conditions that an individual can have. And we found that that's been particularly helpful for those with chronic diseases, those with inherited uh, conditions, and many other clinical aspects. So, for more information, I guess I would refer folks to the white paper, which goes into a bit more detail on those topics.
1: So now I want to move on to the third white paper, the uh, work group uh, published back in October of 2018. And this was titled Making Precision Medicine the Standard of Care. And and the first part was focusing on the clinical and business drivers. This was really written with the idea of uh, how do organizations uh, like healthcare systems go about creating a, a formal enterprise wide, uh, genetics program. And and the reason why I put it that way is because, uh, most healthcare systems experience, uh, this as, uh, as how the, the services evolve within their organization. It comes up from the individual clinicians who decide, um, that there's uh, certain tests that they've learned about, certain genetic tests that they know that they might want to um, order for their patient. And, uh, and with the results or interpretation of that test, uh, there's is there something that they could uh, do to uh, treat that patient. And, and so instead of this happening, uh, like I say, individually with individual docs here and there Sometimes certain specialty areas are doing a little bit more than other specialty areas. Um, instead, uh, it, it gets to a point where a healthcare organization, the healthcare system, needs to look at creating, like I say, a formal program that supports this. And this program is enterprise-wide. And some of the areas that we talk about in this white paper is, here. here's some of the steps that an organization should go through. You start by, of course, evalu- evaluating the landscape. You have to know, you know, what your market is. Um, do you need to? Can you do this all yourself, or do you need to partner with a, maybe a larger healthcare system or, or academic center? You know, where are you going to, going to get the genetic testing if you're not going to do it in your own labs? And so, there's there's a lot of questions like that. You have to start with. It's those business questions you have to evaluate. But then you move on to the next step, like, of course, uh, reimbursement issues and and policies, because that is going to be key to the success of of your program. And then uh, when you move on to the next step after that, it's looking at, okay, what are the the clinical specialty guidelines or guidelines from the FDA that – tell you as you do this type of services, the genetic and genomic testing services to patients, you know, what are the guidelines out there that you should follow? And then you have to put those guidelines into testing policies for the whole healthcare system, uh, a policy that states, you know, when is it appropriate for a specific test to be ordered for a patient? And what is the policy to get the follow through on the result of that test? And how to interpret that test and, and how that information is stored in the patient record. Of course, you got privacy and security issues and policies that you have to establish. And then you, uh, of course you do uh, uh, education programs, both for healthcare providers, clinicians, and all of the other ancillary providers, but also on the patient side too. So those are kind of like the clinical and business drivers that uh, an organization, uh, the uh, the, the, and the steps that they would have to go through to do this formal um, uh, establishment of a program. but of course then you, you have things on the help on the IT side where you go, oh, gee, if we're going to do this testing ourselves are we going to ha- get the sequencing instruments and, and develop that sequencing lab? Um, I know how do we um, invest in bioinformaticists and and other, uh, people who are going to help develop uh, the sequence data and and what file formats it's going to be stored, where is it going to be stored, how is it going to be accessed, what kind of a a, uh, a genomic data repository are we going to store, store all this information in, how is that going to be linked to the electronic health record. Um, and and then you go through the, all those steps to the point where you uh, say, okay, how are we going to uh, with this data, with the results of these tests, with the sequence information, how are we going to uh, interpret uh, the results of this information for clinical purposes? Um, and once again, that, you know, it gets back into this has to be done around the electronic health records. So you have to have all these new data interfaces set up so you can order the test through the EHR, you can do the analysis through the EHR, you can see reports through the EHR. And, and with this data linked to the HR, then of course the, the, the um, end goal is to have that used by clinical decision support. So you can really uh, move to advanced uh, intelligent systems now that you have uh, this data available. Um, and, and just to finish that off, there's a consent management system. There's what questions around patient access and data sharing, um, having patient uh, apps they can access their own uh, genetic and genomic data. And, and then there's this future of, you know, uh, uh, what type of, of collaborations or partnerships and innovative development that now is opened up to you because you have this infrastructure in place. Um, Marilyn, I'm going to go ahead and jump into what is the next white paper the work group is working on. And then I'll have you um, kind of comment on the end as I describe this new white paper. But this white paper, uh, the title of it is Innovative Opportunities in Genomics for Insurers. And the idea is is, is talking about the significant challenges to genetic and genomic testing becoming the standard of care in, in healthcare and how that relates to uh, health insurance reimbursement, which, of course, is key to uh, uh, the, the successful implementation of genetic and genomic testing. So the health insurance industry is, is uh, uh, trying to establish you know, payment policies and guidelines, uh, establishing the value of this testing, how, how value is it for patient care, um, you know, what type of, of uh, diagnostic test should be covered. And and it's uh, usually the different insurance companies are kind of going through these processes on its own. So at th- the moment, we don't have a sort of like a consistent um, set of coverage that goes across the whole industry. And so with this uh, white paper, there's some um, topics that we want to cover that is specific as to what we think are opportunities for the insurance industry to innovate and and to expand the use of genetic genomic testing and make it uh, the standard of care in the future. So some of the things that we, we cover, we, we, we talk about what's going on currently with, with genetic testing, you know, how testing is used and prenatal care uh, to see if you're a carrier of a disease used in newborn screening. It's used to uh, determine uh, a risk for uh, certain diseases. So it's, there's an assessment to determine what your risk is for that. Testing is used for diagnosis or pharmacogenomics um, to determine uh, you know uh, what therapies work best for you. So it's like a targeted therapy, whether it be a cancer drug, or also in the areas of emergency care um, and physical therapy and how you might respond to treatments there um, and tissue typing for transplantation. So there's a lot of different reasons, uh, areas where testing is done. And, and so that you know makes this not a very simple question. It's, it is quite a complicated uh, question for insurance companies to to uh, um, try to coordinate and follow and and figure out, you know, what's the best for the patient in all these areas. Uh, You also have, uh, you know, just some of the the issues that the uh, the clinic has to ask, like, you know, doctors are utilizing more testing, um, especially in areas of cancer right now, but you also see testing, uh, like I mentioned before, in pharmacogenomics, determining what drug might work best for you Testing is used in maternal and fetal medicine, cardiovascular disease. Uh, But we're going to find more testing going on in primary care and behavioral health and neurology and other areas. But I mentioned where testing is happening in all these places, but it hasn't yet become standard of care. Um, And that's what we're trying to address here is, is when that will happen and how it will happen. So testing is moving uh, more towards large gene panels. You know, instead of doing, looking at individual uh, genes at a time, uh, these these gene panels will look at uh, as as maybe as little as maybe 30 genes, but go up to as many as 300 genes at a time. Uh, they'll get to where we're doing whole exome tests or whole genome tests, um, and so that's where the testing is trending to. And that usually means. That there's a lot more information in the result of that test than what the doctor had ordered uh, previously, and so you have to decide how you're going to handle those what they call incidental findings. Um, There is uh, new services available for doctors about uh, to help them interpret all these tests. These these uh, services help uh, classify the variants as to whether they're benign or pathogenic. And and, and all of this information, once again, needs to be included within the electronic health record, within clinical decision support, because you're really trying to get to the point where you're creating an infrastructure where the patient becomes the center of all this activity and all of the data that's collected is centered around the patient and not around the individual doctors. And so we do talk about what's going on within the uh, computer systems today. And and I kind of mentioned that earlier uh, about the IT infrastructure that needs to be built. But the idea is that we have to be able to collect this uh, genetic genomic sequence data and store it in, in, in a data repository that can be used for the patient throughout their lifespan. Um, and that's just something that doesn't exist today, and I, I and I will uh, talk about this a little bit more because I think this is an area where the insurance industry can really be innovative in and, and drive some uh, positive change there. Um, and so you you know right now we have a the a situation where these electronic health record systems only store a limited uh, amount of, of of variant data. Genetic data; uh, they don't um, aren't able to, you know, span the whole list of all you know four thousand genes that we currently um, can can generate data on, and so so it, it it's limited at the moment as to what they can support. Uh, but that needs to be expanded. Uh, another a- example of what we're struggling with is if you look at pharmacogenomic testing. The results of that test usually comes in a PDF file, and so it's not stored as computable data. And that way, you know, because of that, we can't use it for clinical decision support. So we need to over overcome those limitations that we currently have. And the idea is to is to really do this infrastructure in such a way that you can really um, advance the intelligent intelligence of these systems to aid the doctor and, and do this decision, decision support, run it through these, these algorithms that provide guidance to the doctor with the idea that really is, is you want to come up with better medical outcomes and, and cost savings. Um, And, you know, that's really the end goal of all this activity, but the, 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 you know, one of the big um, issues here is creating that patient genomic data repository uh, that does not exist right now. And, and like I say, this is a big place for innovation. So just a, a few more things I wanted to cover when we, you know, bring in Marilyn again to comment about what I'm sharing here is, is that within the insurance industry, they're going through these questions about if I look at uh, uh, covering large gene panels, um, uh, for risk assessment and, and family cascade testing. Uh, how do I make those decisions? If, uh, you know, what are the reasons to cover or not to cover, uh, what they call an XM, uh, exome trio, uh, to do a diagnostic odyssey, usually for a newborn, um, where the newborn, uh, they don't know what's what might be wrong medically with, with, with the baby. And so they uh, will test the baby and the parents, to see if they can figure out what might be going on genetically. You know, what about the future? Um, and this is a question for the insurance industry. What about the future when whole, whole genome sequencing is under $500? And so, so the extra costs have, are not really that big of an issue anymore. You know, we, we could get in the future, we're gonna get uh, test results in under an hour um, and they're gonna be far more accurate we do have a shortage of genetic counselors right now, and they bring a really high value uh, to uh, insurers because they improve when you use genetic counselors, they improve um, the quality of, of the of using that genetic test and, and getting an interpretation and a treatment from that genetic test. But now there's this questions about patient drivers. You know, Patients are doing direct con, direct-to-consumer genetic testing and even ancestral testing um, in the genealogy world—that uh, uh, actually the data that is generated from doing ancestral testing does create medical data. So there's medical DNA data that is being stored in, in these ancestral companies. You know what's going to happen with that information? Um, and, and we're and then of course you know we're talking about this, just just um, the uh, basic issue of. Um, value-based uh, reimbursement, you know, different reimbursement models that are that are coming out, and and so these are all going to impact uh, issues for the insurance uh, industry. But I think these also will impact opportunities for innovation. Uh, one last thing before I do want to ask Marilyn some questions is, uh, you know, some of these ideas around innovation, and that is. Oh, could, is there a, an opportunity now to, if we look at genetic testing, instead of it being part of sick care, but part of wellness care, and, and is that an opportunity for a new underwriting model? Um, this idea of in order to make sure we do get uh, value over uh, out of genetic and genomic testing, I think there's an opportunity for insurance uh, companies to collaborate with each other And share data with each other so that everybody could, at the same time, can come up with the evidence that supports um, what is the value from doing this genetic testing and then can move genetic testing into more standard of care. How do we uh, come together as an industry and solve these questions around differences in coverage? Um, Because I think once we solve those differences in coverage, we could then once again, um, uh, move genetic uh, testing into standard of care. Uh, there's going to be this question of of uh, who owns this data, and and there's going to be a lot of people talking about you know patients owning this data and and permissioning consenting to who can have access to this data. Um, but you know, with the fact that um, nowadays employer Uh, uh, insurance plans allow employees to not just uh, um, have to use the employer chosen plan, but they could go out and choose their own plan. I think that opens up now some more opportunities for insurance companies to want to invest in supporting uh, this activity because then they can make that relationship uh, with that new uh, plan member and and can hopefully have that plan member over their their lifespan. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for strategic thinking here, um, looking at you know different coverage policies that combine just not just the individual member but start looking at the whole family and do family health tracking and population genetics. Um, there's going to be this uh, future of gene editing and gene therapy. That's going to alter a lot of ways of how we use this DNA information for patient care. And then you just, you know, we're we're going to go further. We're going to be uh, using, uh, as insurance companies are right now, using artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to do analysis. And now they can have the opportunity to do this analysis on genetic and genomic uh, data uh, to really, Get, bring once again bring more value, uh, cost reduction, but better health outcomes. So I'll stop there with with that very long list of of uh, things that are I think are opportunities for innovation in genomics for uh, the insurance industry and and see uh, if there's some comments that uh, Marilyn would like to share.
2: You know, hearing everything that you've raised, Rick, Brandon, there's some great points there. I just wanted to highlight a couple of real-life examples that I've seen in my work through the years, which has to do with the types of genetic testing that can be done in specific clinical circumstances. And so, for many of us, you know, oftentimes you can think of the human body like a car. You wish you could pull it into the shop, have a diagnostic done, and get a report about all of the diseases that you're currently facing, what you might develop in the future, and so on. But in the term, in terms of genetics, it's really thinking more about the right testing at the right time to make sure that it's medically appropriate. And so in in terms of our genetics work, we've seen things like individuals getting tests to see if they have a specific gene so that they might develop a breast cancer that is particularly passed from generation to generation, and then if that gene is, is detected once the test is done, the individual can make a decision about any therapeutics or other treatments that they may want to undergo as a preventative measure before they develop that condition. We've also seen it in terms of, as you've talked about, grant-specific tumors and actually doing tests to really refine and more precisely diagnose a specific type of cancer, once the tumor is detected. And even in in the area of autoimmune diseases, you can have genetic tests performed prior to taking any kind of pharmacological therapy or drug to really see if it is indicated or contraindicated so that if you have a certain genetic disposition, that drug may not be the best for the condition that the doctor is trying to treat. So really it's a very expansive area. And I think looking forward to the future, we're going to see a lot more of those, Kinds of examples where uh, medicine really can hone in on the specific types of genetics that an individual is carrying, the types of situations they're trying to treat, and then, as you've mentioned, the tests that can be done to sort of predict diseases that an individual has a percentage of, of developing or likelihood to develop in the future.
1: So I think we're coming towards the end of this particular podcast, and I, I did want to leave with just kind of one last thought, which I think is an important area of, of uh, opportunity here and a, an area of innovation. And, and I've uh, mentioned this a little bit previously, but what we don't have right now in the, in the healthcare industry is a, the ability, that as a patient has genetic and genomic testing done, that that gets stored in a repository that is not linked to a specific healthcare provider or healthcare system, but can be accessed by any provider or system that the patient uh, wants wants that access to be available. And I think there's a huge opportunity for the uh, insurance industry to partner with the healthcare industry to make that happen. We certainly would like to see as as money is spent on pain for uh, these different genetic and genomic tests, that that data is easily accessible no matter where the patient goes, um, that data is accessible and and is uh, is set up as a benefit to the patient. And I just think that is an area uh, where both the insurance industry and, and the healthcare industry can get together and innovate with each other and build out that repository, uh, because I think it would benefit everybody. Um, Marilyn, any last thoughts before we end this podcast?
2: Well, I, I think I would just emphasize that there are certain laws that protect genetic information, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And I know the white papers talk about those laws more in depth, but to the extent that someone wants more information about the existing legal protections that are out there, the white papers would provide a good opportunity for a little bit more background on those areas in terms of privacy protections that exist right now.
1: All right, great. So thank you very much for for listening. We hope this uh, podcast provided some information to you that you found of value. And also, we hope that uh, you'll not only look up some of these white papers that are available on the Weedy website, but if you'd like to continue to be part of the conversation around uh, the innovative opportunities for genomics in the insurance industry, please uh, contact uh, Weedy through their, their website and, uh, and get in contact with us. We'd like to have you join us uh, within the work group as we work on this interesting topic. So thank you very much and have a good day.
0: What a great look into the inner workings of this organization. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.